This is our fifth day of Sajin. We've had uh, a variety of weathers, all of them chilly, but uh, we're doing really well. Uh, sitting is just really solid, and uh, even though these are abbreviated days, the Sajin feeling is, is really strong. I really appreciate that very much. Uh, and I'm, I feel good that, I don't know about you all, but uh, in my household, uh, it feels like Lori and I have done a pretty good job at maintaining kind of the session energy into the evening, uh, not watching television, not uh, indulging in hilarity, but just really quiet late afternoons and evenings and simple food. And uh, that feels like a really good spirit. And I feel, I actually feel refreshed in this, in the last few days. Um, I feel fully recovered from COVID. Uh, it's really, it's encouraging to feel one's uh, store of energy kind of replenish itself. So I'm grateful for that. Um, we've been speaking about Fukansa Zendi, and I'm going to continue for the next couple of lectures doing that. And it's exciting to me. So many times we've been, we've studied something in Sashin and we sort of get about halfway through it or two thirds of the way through it and we don't we don't get to finish but I think we'll actually get to go through this whole text which is um, very satisfying. I do have I, I guess at the end of Sashin if any of you are interested we can send around I've got a, a collection of links uh, particularly for printed material that's that you might find interesting if you want to pursue your study of this somewhat further. Uh, what I regret is that I haven't, there's also a wealth of recorded material, uh, and some of which is very interesting to me, but uh, what I find is that I don't tend to, I don't tend to listen to that material very much. It's just, I prefer reading where I can kind of zero in on what seems relevant. But if you have the time and the interest, particularly, I think there's uh, there's great material uh, from Shohaku Okamura Roshi, and uh, I believe there's really good material from Sojin Roshi uh, in our uh, our wider store of of lectures. So. You can investigate that for yourself. 
before I press on, um, I want to revisit two questions that that happened that came up yesterday um, because I think that they're relevant and uh, I was speaking with someone uh, yesterday afternoon in uh, Dogasan and uh, she brought up uh, Bendawa, uh, which is another really foundational uh, writing of Dogen. It was written very early, uh, as was the first drafts of Kansa Zengi. Uh, so Bendawa was written in uh, 1231, and Dogen was just getting settled in uh, Kyoto, and one text of it is, is here in uh, the Kastanahashi translations. This one is beyond thinking. It just the context is Bendawa, he didn't include this in Shobogenzo uh, formally, um, and the speculation is that when he was assembling his recensions of uh, the treasury of the true dharma eye, he put together a 12 fascicle version and a 75 fascicle version. And um, at the point at which he assembled those, his, there was a shift in Dogen's focus uh, from uh, when he wrote Pendawa, he was practicing without having a dedicated monastic community. Uh, and by the time he assembled Treasury Tudorama I, his, he was really focusing more on that monastic community. And in fact, he, was, he had assembled one uh, and in, in Kyoto and then created another one, which has become AAG. Uh, so he writes in Bendawa, uh, I came back to Japan with the vision of spreading the teaching and saving sentient beings, a heavy burden on my shoulders. And yet I have put aside the hope of having the teaching prevail everywhere until the time of rising opportunity. For the time being, I wander about like a cloud or a water weed studying the wind of the ancient sages. So he hadn't really settled, uh, his, his understanding was settled, but his physical location was not. At any rate, uh, the first thing I want to reflect on is something that, uh, that Dan Jackson asked about yesterday. And I didn't, I didn't quite get it until I, until I happened to look at this translation because I, I, I wasn't totally familiar with it. Uh, Dan asked about receptive samadhi. Uh, and what I realized that receptive samadhi is the translation uh, in here that's used for uh, the Japanese terms jijuyu samadhi, uh, which uh, was a really a pivotal uh, teaching for Sojin Roshi. Uh, and he talked about it as uh, self-fulfilling samadhi or self-joyous samadhi. And so that's what uh, 
I think that's what Dan was citing. And I just want to read you the first section of Bendawab is often exerted and chanted in, in Soto monasteries because it's, it's really the teaching of that which is completely in line with what we've been studying. So I just, I just want to read you, it's only a couple of paragraphs. Um, all Buddha Tathagatas who individually transmit inconceivable Dharma, actualizing supreme perfect enlightenment, have a wondrous way, unsurpassed and unconditioned. Only Buddhas transmitted to Buddhas without veering off. Receptive Samadhi, Jijuya Samai, is its mark. Sitting upright, practicing Zen, is the authentic gate to free yourself in the unconfined realm of this Samadhi. So this is the method, uh, the what generates or what reveals Jijuya Samai is our city. Although this inconceivable dharma is abundant in each person, it is not actualized without practice, and it is not experienced without realization. It sounds like two things, but really it's not. Uh, you, you can't actualize your awakened nature other than in the context of practice. And the practice naturally is the expression of a realization. And then there's this, this beautiful expression, uh, when you release it, it fills your hand. When you release it, it fills your hand. How could it be limited to one or many? When you speak it, it fills your mouth. It is not bounded by length or width. When you release it, it fills your hands. So this is the letting go is precisely what allows the light, the sound, the taste of realization to come to your awareness. All Buddhas continuously abide in this Dharma and do not leave traces of consciousness where they are. Sentient beings continually move about in this Dharma, but where they are is not clear in their consciousness. So uh, we are Buddhas. We are simultaneously Buddhas and sentient beings. Uh, so this is why, um, you know, what I often say about uh, Bodhisattva and Buddha practices um, is that for the Buddhas, this is the natural manifestation of their being. For those of us who are engaged with allowing Buddha to be born in us, then we have to 
apply ourselves consciously to practice. So it's it's those two those two sides. One is it's just natural. It's what, for example, Bodhidharma did after his awakening. He just sat for nine years, uh, bringing forth that natural that natural manifestation of his Buddha nature. Uh, for some of us, uh, we still have to make some effort. And what we're doing is we're making that effort to align ourselves with what is already within us. So I wanted to speak to that briefly. The other question that, um, that came up, which also is answered in Bendawa, was from uh, Mary Durier. And she's not here today, right? I don't see her on screen, but uh, I'll tell her when I see her. So there's the structure of Mendawa is there's there's a, there's a teaching first, and then there's a series of nineteen questions, uh, and uh, Dogen's answers. His answers are sometimes they're a little sharp. Uh, and the questions are good ones. The questions, I really encourage you to read Bendawa. It's very accessible. And it speaks to many of the questions that we have about practice. So question five says, among the learnings, there is the practice of Samadhi. Among the six perfections, there is the perfection of jhana. This is what Mary was asking about jhana. Both of these have been studied by bodhisattvas from the moment of arousing the thought of enlightenment, and both are practiced by the clever and dull. The zazen you speak, to, speak of seems to be something like this. Why do you say that zazen alone contains the true teaching of the Tathagata? Dogen's uh, answer is, your question arises because the treasury of the true Dharma High, the single great matter of the Tathagata, the unsurpassable great Dharma, has been named the Zen or Jhana school. Uh, you should know that the name Zen or Chan appeared in China and spread eastward. It was not heard of in India. When the great master Bodhidharma sat facing the wall at Shaolin Monastery, for nine years, neither monks nor lay people knew the Buddha's true teaching. So they called him the Brahman who concentrated on Zazen. Subsequently, all Buddhas and all Buddha ancestors of every generation always devoted themselves to Zazen. Heedless lay people who saw them without knowing the truth informally called them the Zazen school. Later, the word Zao sitting was dropped, and nowadays it is called the Zen school. The meaning of this teaching has been made clear through the discourses of the ancestors. Then he says, do not identify Zazen with the jhana or samadhi of the six perception, perfections or three leanings. Uh, so he's really denying uh, that there are stages of practice, there are particular concentrations that you have to move through. It's just, uh, as he says, you should know 
that the practice of zazen is the complete path of Buddha Dharma, and nothing can be compared to it. So there. <laughs> uh, anyhow, from there I want to I want to go on, uh, and if you have questions, we can we can go back to it. So I want to read you this. Uh, oh, first I want to ask. Do you guys still have, uh, do you have your copies of the Fukan Zazenki? Yeah, good. Because tomorrow, which is more Saturday, right? Uh, yeah, I want to, we'll read the whole thing again, but uh, I just want to make sure, I'll, I'll make a few more copies because there's some different people in here, but I wanted to make sure that people still have them. So we're going to this paragraph about the sitting. Uh, at the site of your regular sitting, spread out thick matting and place a cushion above it. Sit either in the full lotus or half lotus position. In the full lotus position, you place your right foot on your left thigh and your left foot on your right thigh. In the half lotus, you simply press your left foot against your right thigh. You should have your robes and belt loosely bound and arranged in order. Then place your right hand on your left leg and your left palm facing upwards on your right palm, neither inclining to the left nor to the right, neither leaning forward nor backward. Be sure your ears are on line, on a plane with your shoulders and your nose in line with your navel. Place your tongue against the front roof of your mouth with lips, with teeth and lips both shut. Your eyes should always remain open. And you should breathe gently through your nose. So I wanted to read you just uh, a section from uh, the, the Zuo Changyi of uh, Changlu Zongzhi, uh, which was written uh, not so long before, uh, well, maybe a hundred years before Dogen. Uh, but here's, here's what, what that text says. When you sit in meditation, spread a thick mat. You can plunge and look at your Fukuan Zazenyu. I'm reading this so you can see it. Uh, when you sit in meditation, spread a thick mat in quiet place. Loosen your robe and belt and assume a proper demeanor. Then sit in full cross-legged position. First place your right foot on your left thigh, then place your left foot on your right thigh. Or you may sit in the half cross-legged position. Simply rest your left foot on your right foot. On your, on your right. Next, place your right hand on your left foot with your left hand on your right palm. Press the tips of the thumbs together. Slowly raise your torso, torso and stretch it forward. Swing to the left and right, uh, and then straighten your body and sit erect. Do not lean to the left or right, forward or backward. Keep your hips, neck, hips, back, neck, and head in line. Make your posture like a stupa, but do not strain your body upward too far, lest it make your breathing forced and unsettled. 
Your ears should be in line with your shoulder and your nose in line with your navel. Press your tongue against the front of your palate and close your lips and teeth. The eyes should remain slightly open to prevent drowsiness. So, this looks like a cut and paste job to me. <laughs> but it's, this, is the, this is the style, the Zazen style of our school. Uh, and uh, Dogen made, you know, he made some revisions here, but uh, really, uh, it's pretty much the same, same thing. Uh, and it goes on like that. There's many parallels between Zuanqi, the uh, uh, and Fukanta uh, Zengi, and also Dogen's later revision of Zazengi, which is kind of stripped down. Zazengi is about half the length of Fukanta Zengi. And as I said, it, it it's removes for whatever reason, which it's interesting to speculate, but we don't know. Uh, he removes kind of the uh, the the theoretical or spiritual theoretical framework of uh, the the whole of the materials that bracket the actual nuts and bolts discussion. So anyway, I want to go on. Uh, in your test, it says, once you've adjusted your posture, take a deep breath, inhale and exhale. Rock your body right and left and settle into a steady, immobile sitting position. Think of not thinking. How do you think of not thinking? Non-thinking. This in itself is the essential part of Zazen. So this is another one of these pivotal points of, of this instruction. And um, so this This instruction is is missing from the Zuo Chani. And this thinking, think not thinking is, um, so think not thinking appears several times in Dogen. Uh, it also is the subject of uh, Shobokenzo Zazenshin the acupuncture needle of Zazen. And it comes from a dialogue, a, a Tang Dynasty dialogue. A monk asked Weishan or Yakusan, uh, what does one think of when sitting motionlessly in Zazen? Weishan replied, you think of not thinking. Uh, how do you think of not thinking? asked the monk. Non-thinking, answered Yueshan. So we're gonna, we're gonna talk about this a while uh, because this is 
this is something we need to understand. Uh, what, what does it actually mean for us in terms of what we're doing as we're seeing? Uh, in uh, it's a small book called Soto Zen that Shohaku Okamura put together. And he compares non-thinking to a car engine that's idling in neutral. Even though the engine is, has started and is working, the gears aren't engaged and the car doesn't move. Uh, he said that when we are non-thinking, we cannot say that there is no thinking. We cannot say that we are thinking. Thoughts are simply idling. So the thoughts, so the engine is idling, but uh, it's not just the activity of the engine. It's also, uh, if we translate it into our mental activity, this is receptive samadhi. We are, we're just sitting and receiving whatever is coming up. the hum of the air filters, the non-sound of the elliptical sander, uh, birds. The blood coursing through our veins, sound of the quiet, subtle sound of our heartbeat. We're idling, we're just, we're idling. Uh -huh. So in Zazen, our minds are fully alive. We're completely awake and we can function in a moment. If we're called to function, we function right there. But we're like, actually, the, again, Sojin liked to speak often of, uh, we're just like the frog sitting on a rock, just receptive, open. And when a fly comes by, just, just, we can do that. But mostly, we're just sitting, receiving, and uh, allowing perceptions, thoughts, feelings to uh, to go by, and we don't get stuck on any of them. We don't get stuck. Primarily, we don't get stuck on ourselves. In those moments of idling, the self itself is uh, quite fluid and maybe not as defined as it is at other points in our day. Uh, and what happens as we sit, particularly in Sashin, is that um, 
The mind is alive and it's bright. That light, if we've turned, we've taken the backward step to shine the light inward and there is no inward, as, as Ross was pointing out yesterday, there's, there actually is no distinction of inward and outward. There's just, if we turn our awareness to the so-called inside, it's bright and quiet in there. If we turn our awareness to the so-called outside, the sun is shining and it's slanting through the slats and the blinds. The grass is blowing. The dew is shining on it. Uh, and we, we can, bit by bit, we get much more comfortable with just the floating of these perceptions. Uh, Okamoro, she said, by keeping an upright posture without rejecting or chasing after anything, we aren't controlled by delusive thoughts. So I wanted to share with you another commentary, which I hope I have. Yes. Um, so as I was looking around, uh, I discovered this uh, on the Crooked Cucumber page, or I'm not sure the that, or cute.com, David Chadwick's pages. Uh, there's a several lectures by Tatsugami Roshi in 1970. Tatsugami Roshi was someone that uh, Suzuki Roshi brought over in 1970. He had been the Eno at the so the Zendo manager at uh, ADG, uh, and he brought him to Tassahara to establish the, the monastic forms, which had been pretty loose and pretty minimal among that, until that time. And Tatsugami Roshi was the one who really set them up. And it happens that, uh, the practice period, one of the practice periods that Tatsukami Roshi led was uh, Sojin Roshi's uh, Shuso period. So Tatsugami Roshi was Sojin's Shuso teacher. Uh, and uh, Sojin always said, uh, you know, we couldn't communicate with each other in words because he had no English and so did have no Japanese, but we we understood our we understood each other very well, and he had great love for Tatsugami Roshi. Tatsugami Roshi was a bit he was fierce, and uh, uh, but I think this this commentary is really interesting. So the the only translation that 
was available of Dogen at that point in time uh, was by uh, a Japanese uh, scholar, Reiho Matsunaga. Uh, and Matsunaga's translations were available from kind of the mid to late 50s. And it was before, way before the translations that we have now, and even before the uh, Dr. Abe and Norman Waddell's translations, which are, which came a little later. Uh, and so the, the translation of uh, think not thinking that uh, Matsunaga used was think the unthinkable, which which has a really interesting edge. You know, it has a it has a real there's a a wonderful and rich ambiguity to it. Think the unthinkable. So I want to read you this. In this from Tatsudama Roshi. In Fukan Sazendi, Dogen Zenji asks, How do you think the unthinkable? Dogen himself answers, saying that you should throw away everything. This means that you should go directly forward without looking backwards or forwards, towards the left or towards the right. What will happen if you plunge into doing something, eliminating everything? Dogen Senji states that no matter what you are about to do, throwing away everything should be the basic attitude towards life. So this is, this is an interesting interpretation, but it's really to throw away everything is to throw yourself into the house of the Buddha, to throw yourself completely into just doing and not thinking about your job, not thinking about what happens next week. It's just like throwing yourself into this activity. And um, then, then Tatsukami says, the basic, this basic attitude is exemplified by the story of a famous Chinese Zen master who fulfilled the position of Tenzo, or head of the kitchen. There are really a lot of great stories about Tenzo. Tenzo's, uh, here's Dogen's meeting with the Tenzo when he arrived in, in uh, China. There's uh, the Tenzo who uh, kicks over the pitcher of water, which is another, another story. Uh, I was thinking yesterday, there's the, there's, I learned a lot from the Tenzos here. I still learn from the Tenzos here. I think of uh, Meili Scott, uh, our late friend in the kitchen and her upright Tenzoness. And I think of Ron Nestor, who uh, slapped my hand with a ladle when I went to peek in the, in the pot. <laughs> <laughs> I, never, I never did that again. <laughs> Tensos are fierce because they are single-mindedly focusing on the, uh, the task and the responsibility they have. So this is Tatsukami's, the story he tells is, uh, one day, uh, the Zen master Tenzo was preparing rice for the monk's meal. 
The rice was boiling and the steam was rising up. Suddenly, Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva appeared in the steam. <laughs> when the Tenzo saw Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva, he gave the Bodhisattva a blow, making him disappear. The Tenzo said, you shouldn't be here. It's not necessary for you to appear now. <laughs> he chased him away. Um, if you devote yourself with complete wholeheartedness to the preparation of a meal, you know that it's not necessary to play with Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva because preparing the meal is your whole life. Sitting here this week is our whole life. When you prepare a meal, you yourself are revealed as you are. That is why Dogen Denji says, how do you think the unthinkable? It's not really a question. As both Dogen and Buddha say, it means you should go forward directly, throwing away everything. Isn't that a wonderful story? Same. I feel like I, you know, I found this gem that um, so we can find as we're kind of digging around. So to think, not thinking, what? What that means to me in terms of practice is not that there's no thought, not that the mind isn't functioning, as um, as he said, the mind is is bright and flexible, receptive and potentially responsive, and. The non-thinking is just to allow the stream of perceptions to flow. Just one perception after another. It's as if you are, uh, in this case, as if you're uh, sitting by the side of a stream. And you're just keeping your mind, your attention, your eye on one place in the stream. Maybe uh, the overhang, a little overhang of rock where uh, an eddy and bubbles form. And you just, the water is constantly flowing. And you just, you watch the water flow past that point. Some moment, maybe a leaf will drift by or a twig. And sometimes when that happens, just naturally, you follow it down the stream a ways because it catches our attention. And then you just bring your attention back to that spot. Something will always catch us. But part of the essential act 
of Zazen is just returning, just return to that to that point, uh, that point where you are receptive, that place where your bright attention can settle. So in the next paragraph, uh, Dogen says, the zazen I speak of is not learning meditation. So it's not something that you're doing to attain something. What Dogen, what Dogen is saying here is we're not doing a practice of steps and stages. We're not learning meditation. We're simply practicing enlightenment, practicing realization. And uh, the next sentence I love. Uh, so he says, the Zazen I speak of is not learning meditation. It is simply the Dharma gate of repose and bliss. Um, I spent many years puzzling over that sentence. Uh, okay, when, when does this repose and bliss arise? You know, uh, this hurts. Uh, and it took a long time, but actually it did, not as some great experience, but just, ah, uh, just the ease of sitting down. I experience it every morning, you know, it's like every morning I have to struggle to get out of bed and I come here and I sit down and just in that moment of sitting, there is this repose and bliss. It's simply the Dharma gate of repose and bliss, the practice realization of to totally culminated enlightenment. Again, come back to this practice realization, which is the pivotal point of Fuganza Zeni. It is the manifestation of ultimate reality traps and snares can never reach it. You can't get caught. You're free when you're actually sitting. Once its heart is grasped, you are like the dragon when he gains the water, like the, tar like the tiger when she enters the mountain. dragon in water, the tiger in the mountain. Uh, these are auspicious animals. And when they enter the water, when they enter the wagon, the, the, the mountain, they are completely in their element. They are free and natural. And of course the message is, when you practice zazen, that's exactly the state that you enter, even when it doesn't necessarily feel that way. The encouragement here, this is deeply encouraging, it's deeply encouraging to hear that it's the Dharma gate of repose and bliss. Even if we stand outside that gate for quite a while, uh, we will enter. 
and we will enter as the dragon gains the water and the tiger enters the mountain, we will enter our own territory, the realm of naturalness, basically, which is not necessarily any exalted state, it's just naturalness. A space where we feel ourselves, a space where we feel at home in our body and at home in our world. And I think that I like to think that we are feeling at home here. This is our water, this is our mountain. So I'm going to stop there, see if you have any questions or comments. Yeah, Dan. Something that I'm, I'm curious about, where is the dress? Because in the, so I had an instruction provided by Suzuki Roshi in Zen Life, there's a lot of focus on the breath. Right. Following the breath is an accessible way to sort of just be open to what's happening. But one of the things that's always happening is that the breathing. And likewise, in the four foundations of mindfulness, the breath is the first thing you know. <coughs> that description is part of it. And that's what So what Dan is asking, uh, he's asking, uh, in this instruction, where is the breath? Doesn't seem like it's emphasized. Um, so it's there, and I would I would say you're correct. It's not emphasized. Um, it's there in uh, in the first part of the instruction. It says, place your tongue against the front roof of your mouth, with teeth and lips both shut. Your eyes should always remain open, and you should breathe gently through your nose. That's one instruction on breath. Uh, and then he says, and actually, as you're, as you're settling yourself, he says, once you've adjusted your posture, take a deep breath, inhale and exhale, and rock your body right and left. So that's the, that's the as a kind of induction to Zazen, we do some deep breathing. My feeling about this is that quite intentionally, well, the first of all, if you align your body, Sojourn always said this, if you align your body correctly, then your breath will naturally be correct. Uh, your, your body will be open and there'll be nothing obstructing your breath down to your aura. In, in 
other schools of Buddhism, uh, there were very explicit and detailed instructions about breath. And uh, I, my feeling is that Dogen connected that with part of the process of learning meditation. And that was precisely what he wanted de to de-emphasize. What he was saying is, if you put yourself in Buddha Mudra, then, uh, then you're naturally going to breathe. And that, you know, in, like in, uh, speaking with, uh, or listening to Harada, Shoto Harada Roshi, the Rinzai teacher that uh, Genpo and I are connected with, you know, there are all these breath techniques. Uh, there's, there's deep breathing, there's hara breathing, there's, you know, uh, breathing down to your perineum. Uh, there's all of these, all of these approaches. There's breathing mu. There's placing mu on your breath and really, Dogen just says, uh, you should breathe gently through your nose. I, I think I think that's intentional. And one of the things I will say, Lori, Lori told me, she remembers, she was at San Francisco Zen Center, uh, you know, in the late 70s. At a certain point, um, they, really move the zazen instruction uh, to emphasize posture rather than breath. Uh, because when also when breath was emphasized, people had uh, more psychological events. Whereas when you're breathing in alignment, and easily, uh, you're less likely to destabilize yourself. You may also be less liable, less likely to have some big experience, but a big experience good, big experience bad. It's like we're not looking for a big experience. We're just looking to be alive. So that's my that's my thought about it. Listen to Hank Jonathan. If our attention is like a frog sitting on a rock, um, that implies there's something to catch in the simile, what's the fly? Um, well, no, uh, it just, uh, what, what there is to catch, what's the fly is, um, whatever activity we're called upon to participate in. Uh, for the fly, it's lunch, right? Uh, but we're just sitting with the kind of readiness, you know, uh, if 
if our mind is bright and awake, we can just res- we can just respond to whatever comes up. So there's not and not necessarily something that's the fly. It's just like whatever activity we're called upon, we're ready. Does that make sense? I should look see if there's anyone out there. Anyone on Zoom? Uh, Mary. Thank you. Um, a- apropos of the, the last question, I heard it posited that concentration and observation practices are useful for disentangling karma. While Shikantaza has that, what you just described as settling into one's own element, that lovely metaphor. And I'm wondering, first of all, if you agree with that. And it seems that idea is maybe in contrary to the idea that breathing practices um, are more likely to bring up psychological events, or maybe that's that's related. I don't. I'm, I'm wondering. So say your the the first part of that thought again. I just want to make sure I got it, and then I can repeat it to people. That that observation and concentration practices are useful for disentangling karma or dealing with one's own causes and conditions. So she's asking um, what I think about the proposition that concentration, uh, that observation, concentration and observation practices are useful for disentangling karma. Uh, is that is that correct? What you're saying? Is that the correct question? Yes. Yeah. Um, Hard for me to say. Uh, what Sajan often always taught, actually, was that zazen is non-karmic activity. So while we're sitting zazen, uh, we're not creating karma. Um, whether concentration, whether shamatha and vipassana, you know, they may be useful, they might be useful for uh, disentangling karma. Uh, I'm not so sure. That's a hard question. Uh, Ryushin, do you have a response to that? I have a thought to go into the conversation about it. Yeah. I feel like it takes a certain amount of concentration to be able to sit with the real deep discomforts that we have that come up in our mind and mm-hmm. not kind of move away from it, but actually to settle and get to a deeper level of it. So I, I have resonance with what Mary's asking in that way, to have concentration in order to be able to get to the deeper levels of our karma. Okay, so, let, wait, so hang on, let me, let me just repeat that. Uh, Ryushin is saying uh, she has resonance with what Mary was saying, uh, that there's a certain degree of concentration that is necessary to bring us to the settled place of Zaza. Is that correct? Um, yeah, I, 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 I,
Yes, I could say that to the settled place of Zaza that allows you to open to those deeper karmic knots. That allows you to but open to the deeper karm karmic really, entanglement. Yeah. They're not two separate yeah. pieces. Does that resonate? Yeah, yeah, that it it does. Um I you know, I don't um Concentration is necessary. I, I think that concentration is necessary. My and my experience is that uh, that observation is something that just arises. That that actually zazen is is more just like the the observation stage it's like it's vipassana but it's not in stages it's just we enter it immediately but it calls but but we have to apply ourselves and the concentrate the place where we apply ourselves uh to go back to dan's question is not necessarily in the the um formality of the breath but actually in the formality of our posture so um, let's see, uh, we'll take maybe one or two more. Judy? Thank you, Hosan. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Um, I, as you know, I, I practiced in the, uh, the, the, the blend of Soto Rinzai for, for quite some time and formal, you know, koan practice and all that. And I, I was just reflecting on uh, what you've been saying in light of, you know, in that, if you will, cauldron of awakening, the, the spirit of, of, of um, people practicing with their koan, um, it just the awareness of that and that intensity had a really um, profoundly helpful, you know, um, vibe and so on. And uh, what I think, um, was de-emphasized except in particular times like Shuso Hosen or Armando or something was this kind of uh, communal, well also council practice, but that's different, um, of this communal face-to-face -face, uh, bringing forth the Dharma together that, that I find is more um, for me at this time anyway, aligned with this kind of naturalness, uh, particularly because it feels like uh, that's how everyday life tends to be. How, how do we cooperate in, in bringing forth the Dharma together? And it seems really important to have this, the teacher, you know, the teacher holding us together as you're doing right now. And so I'm wondering, um, you know, this was introduced for us by Suzuki Roshi and so on. But I, I wonder how you see it, uh, it, its importance, its centering in in our practice. If what's important? The communal face-to-face -face oh, with, yeah. with the teacher as the, as the anchor, as the... With the teacher as the anchor. I, I have very complex ideas and thoughts about that. Um, you know, I think that a teacher is important, very important. 
and I am grateful to have had one for 40 years, but it's also true. See, what, what, I, what I experience in, in, a, in Rinzai context is that the, actually the community was very warm and uh, uh, it's a lovely community and I'm still friends with people I haven't seen there for 10 years. Uh, and uh, there's something happening there, but uh, that the, the crux of your Dharma work is something that happens relationally between you and your teacher. It's a, there's a one-to-one -one dynamic there and it's very dynamic. It's really powerful and important and it's great. But having had a very close relationship with Sojin, I feel that what, what I, what I feel is that, uh, there's a way in which Sojin pointed me to the circle of community as what was uh, the fundamental teaching. And if I was, if I strayed or if I acted stupidly or thoughtlessly, he would, he would redirect me. But um, it's what we do together that is, uh, I think that's a very, that's the heart of, of Soto. Uh, and, you know, when I was at Zuyoji, uh, we didn't have Dokusan. We didn't, we hardly ever met, you met with the teacher maybe during, uh, during Sejin. And this is what, what Sojin said, everything was so, you know, Suzuki Roshi was absolutely pivotal, but you didn't have Dokusan with him. You just interacted with him. Uh, and what he was showing, and I think this is what Sojin was showing, was how do you interact with the people in your world? And I think that's, that's really, that's kind of an explicit message of Soto Zen. Well, and it's also the, the centering of this kind of communal dialogue in this way, it, to me, is, is modeling. Yeah. And bringing that forth in, in every day. Yeah, I think that that's true. Well, thank you. So one more, Mary Chris, you're okay. Well, we're over time, so we're going to end. But thank you, and we'll continue tomorrow with Fukunsa's uh, ending. Bring your copy so we can read it at least to ourselves, if not out loud. <laughs>